Well, welcome. We know you've had, like us, a long day that started early. And the first thing we're going to tell you is we're not going to 10 o'clock tonight. We can tell you that. One, I'm, the, I'm one of the oldest people in here, and that's not going to happen, all right? And uh, number two, I'm Grady King, and I am one of the leaders of Hope Network uh, Ministries that Brother Lynn Anderson started in 1999. And uh, I've been with it about 10 years. And uh, these are my two co-leaders. And I, they can introduce themselves. I'm Greg Anderson. Good to see you all. I live in College Station, Texas. Yes, I live in Irving, Texas. And Doug? I'm Doug Peters. I live in the Woodlands, Conroe, Montgomery area, north of Houston. And work with the church there and also help with the interim ministry division, interim ministry partners of Hope Network. How many under, know anything about Hope Network at all? A little bit, my some, okay. Well, we are really blessed to work together. Uh, we are the, the, the trifecta and function and don't function some days, but uh, we do interim ministry and cons I hate the word consulting. That, that just drives me crazy. We come alongside church leaders in different seasons. I just, that word consulting just drives me up a wall. But anyway, so our goal tonight is to talk about something that's dear to my heart. I preached for 42 years in a congregation and was in one congregation twice. He's been a preacher, he is a preacher at Grace Crossing Church in Conroe, and Greg was at the A&M Church in College Station. And uh, one of the things that we keep seeing, Hope Network is made up of about 25, 24 or 25 partners, associates, ambassadors that do, do work under the Hope Network umbrella. And what we have seen over the years is that consistently, the reason that men, oftentimes ministers leave is the elder-minister relationship. Now, I happen to love elders, have been asked to be an elder. I spend all my time with elders and ministers. And so this is not a session on beating up on elders. So if you're an elder, don't, you don't have to leave. You, you don't have to feel beat up on. We love you. But the reality is that in our churches, in Churches of Christ, our governance model is really problematic at times. And if you're in a church where the elder-minister relationship is really tight and you're in sync, man, you are one blessed person. And so we want to uh, tonight just sort of talk about the angst a little bit and then move into talking about uh, some ways of understanding some dynamics and some models and some ways it should be different. I have a bias, and the bias is that the New Testament doesn't have teach hierarchical understanding in regards to elders. And it doesn't teach single pastor model in regards to minister. That the New Testament is gift-based shared leadership. That's my lang language. Gift-based shared leadership is the New Testament model. And every time you turn around, Timothy is with, Paul's with Timothy, Paul's with Silas, Paul's with Barnabas. Paul, there, there is this, these evangelists that are working in sync with and in concert with. And so the angst that we feel in Churches of Christ is real. Ten years ago, I did a survey of 50 ministers that used to preach and had experience. And I said, uh, why are you out of congregational ministry? And I, did, I just opened it a question. This was ten years ago and presented the data at Lipscomb University at the Christian Scholars Conference. 
And I got 38 responses out of the 50. And then I categorized them. Uh, didn't fit all the categories of technical, social science, research, and all that, but it, you know how those surveys go. The number one reason was governance model is have responsibility without authority. I, and, uh, it, it's just frustrating to know who decides, who decides on what issues, how, how can it be better. The second number one, second reason was unrealistic expectations from the pew for, for ministers. The third was a lack of meaning. I don't feel like I'm making any difference in helping our people transform into the image of Christ, and I don't feel like we're reaching very many people in the community at all. Now keep in mind, this is 10 years ago. And the uh, next reason was loneliness, and then I forgot the other. Family, finances, those things fell way down the list. So uh, this subject's been on my heart for a long, long time. And how do we get in, the, in congregations to have open conversations about how we're going to function? And so, can't rise above your leadership. Can't rise above your leadership. So I'm going to go with Doug first. All right, Grady. Thank you. Grady is our president of Hope Network Ministries. And Greg and I are, are uh, alongside him and uh, are blessed to serve with him. Uh, Doug Peters, Houston area. Work with the church, interim ministry partners. Um, before I ever got into ministry, I was uh, in, in engineering. Gary, yeah. Um, I worked at a nuclear power plant, and uh, one of the first things spoken to me upon arrival at the nuclear power plant was don't assume anything. And then they had a little saying that went along with don't assume anything. You spell assume, A-S-S-U-M-E, and if you assume, it makes out of you and me. That's basically what they said. Um, and, uh, but frankly, my contention is that we assume a lot in church. There are, there are rules in church. It's kind of like baseball. Baseball and church go hand in hand. In my book, I'm a big baseball fan. I live in the Houston area, and I don't care if you don't like the Astros. <laughs> Get in line, right? There's people in Houston here, right? As long as you're not a Yankees fan, we can get along, and that'd be great. But baseball has set rules, right? I mean, there's a certain distance from home plate to the pitcher's mound. There's certain angles involved in baseball. Uh, there are certain numbers involved, three strikes, four balls, right? There's a certain number of innings, typically, and what happens later. And now they're changing the rules and putting somebody on second base in extra innings. And, I, and for traditionalists like me, I don't know. That's kind of, kind of weird. Uh, but there are, there are set rules. And, and, and frankly, in leadership in churches, there are a lot of set rules, sort of, generally speaking. Now, you might argue about some of them are tradition or how you read it, your interpretation or your hermeneutic or something like that. But, th but there are a lot of set rules. We, we know certain things about leadership, particularly as related to us maybe in churches of Christ. Or at least in the past, some of us grew up thinking we did. Set rules, like baseball. Baseball also has ground rules. Now, you can notice this. Before a series starts, usually a two-game, three-game, or four-game series, the head umpire will call the two managers or a bench coach over, and they will talk down there before the game. And they'll point over there, and they'll say, okay, if the ball hits and bounces here and then bounces foul over here over the fence, it's a ground rule double. Uh, in certain 
ballparks, if the ball hits out here and gets stuck up there in the ivy, in the vines, then that's, and he can't reach it, that's something else, right? If the ball in a, in a park that has a roof over it hits and then comes down in a certain place, well, that's, that's a ground rule. And ground rules are contextual. And we learn about contextual ground rules. If you're in ministry, if you're a leader, if you're an elder, if you're a minister, you have ground rules in your church. They're, they're not necessarily the rules that you might find in Bible that have been handed down to you in the orthodox tradition of church leadership in your heritage, but they are important, and they're ground rules. Uh, I learned, I learned that uh, Doug, as Mildred Clark put her arm around me, after I had told a family we were going to change how we did the funeral meals at the Winners Church of Christ, and Mildred said, Doug, I want to tell you something as, as an older grandmother to you, and she huddled me close up to her, and she's about three times bigger than me, and Mildred said, Doug, you remember this from now on, don't mess with the women's ministry. <laughs> and, uh, and I thought, well, that's, that's a ground rule for her in that church. And I've learned that that's also a pretty good underwritten rule because baseball has underwritten rules, right? So if you've got a no-hitter going on and it's in the eighth inning, you, ninth inning, you don't go up there and lay down a bunt. That's, you do that and you're going to have a fight on your hands. You, don't, you hit a home run and you don't, you don't hot dog it around the bases and show up the pitcher. There are certain things you do with your bat or not do with your bat. Or you're going to get beaned next time. There are unwritten rules. Well, we have, we have set rules in baseball. We have ground rules in baseball. We have unwritten rules in baseball. And I think we have a lot of those kind of things in our churches as well. Um, there, are, there are unwritten rules. They're just things you know, you learn, you do, you don't do. But the problem is... Leadership is fluid in churches. And so there are always new ministers coming and going. There are always new elders that are coming and going on board. And how do we know what we know? Who decides who decides is the title that Grady gave this, right? How do we know? And so it's really important to get the things that are implicit, the ground rules, the unwritten rules, to get them explicit. There are certain things under the table that we just kind of know by instinct and by heritage and tradition and, and what we've sort of learned, where it is we grew up thinking about leadership, but then we move someplace else and guess what? The ground rules are different and the unwritten rules are different and, and sometimes even what we thought were set rules may be different as well. So I am, I'm a big, big fan of making things that are ambiguous clear. <laughs> Ambiguity is our enemy and clarity is kind. It's, a, it's king, clarity is kind. And so the more we can be clear, it brings a lot of advantages to the church. And because, I mean, leadership in a church is tough. I went to a conference many, many years ago as a young minister, and there were people there that you would have heard of. I was so blessed to be invited to go to this, and I was kind of representing the church side of leaders. And there were other people there that were captains of industry, leaders of, of huge organizations, CEO types. And, and one of the guys pointed at me and said, he's got the toughest job here. And his construction company was building the U.S. Embassy in Moscow at the time. And he pointed and said, he's got the toughest job here. And I was like, yeah, right. I'm just a preacher. And uh, he said, no, uh, leadership in a nonprofit, volunteer, faith-based organization is the toughest kind of leadership there is. Think about it, Doug. Okay, I'm listening. Leadership is tough anyway. But in a, a not-for-profit kind of thing where you, you're, 
you know, trying to make things work in a, in a, a largely volunteer organization where you're not always holding paychecks over church members to get them to do what you want them to do and to enlist them and require them to be here certain times, right? We don't get to do that sort of thing. So he, he thought his role as a, as a leader in his church was tougher than it was leading a very large construction, international construction company. And I think he had a lot of uh, things on the ball there. So uh, I want to talk about some useful understandings. That's what I call them. We just need to have, you know, some ground rules, how we're going to work together. And, and some of these, I'm not going to get into the details of them, but I just think they're helpful. Uh, it's a discipline of asking questions. Questions. Uh, and they will help us in a variety of ways. Uh, let me list some of the ways. They'll help us be more efficient, right? I mean, if we, we, are, if we know what to expect of each other and how we're going to function together, we can invest more of our time in the mission of God in doing what we really need to be doing. If you're an elder and you know how things are, are going to operate, we've had agreements up front of how we're going to do things, we don't always have to reinvent the wheel with whatever question comes before us each week or month or quarter or year. And we can go forward. So efficiency is big. Objectivity. If we can intentionally ahead of time figure out how we're going to work together and how we're going to deal with certain things, then we can do that objectively. The time to make policy in your church is not when you're in the middle of a big stink. It's just not. So objectivity. Uh, accountability. What can I expect of you as a fellow elder? What can I expect of you as a minister? What can the minister expect of you as an elder? How are we going to work together? When, when are you talking on behalf of all the elders, or when are you only talking on behalf of you? And when are you talking on behalf of your spouse? Right? I mean, those are good questions that need to be asked sometimes, right? Uh, accountability. Harmony. We, we get along better when we all understand the rules, like baseball, how we're going to work together. We just do. We get along better. Um, expectancy. This is really important. Uh, many churches I'm talking to recently have said it's hard to get guys to say, I want to serve right now. Anybody like that? Yeah. You have any of those? Yeah, your church? Well, one of the reasons it's hard to get people to serve is because, you know what, I don't, I don't like what I've seen sometimes, and I also don't really know what I'm getting into. And so if we have the, the rules, and I, I'm using the word rule not in a legalistic sense here, but just general guidelines and principles of how we're going to function together, understandings that are useful. If we have those understandings, then, then guess what? I may can see myself doing this. Okay, this is not too daunting. Okay. I understand. That makes sense. We're going to function that way. So um, I think it brings more quality to what we do together, and I, and I think it leads to unity. I really do. So those are just some of the really good, good things. And, and I guess another thing I would say is um, context is really important because a, a church of 1,500 with 20 elders and about you know 15 staff members is going to function differently than, than the little church that I first started preaching in of about 130 people and, and four elders. And, and I think we had some deacons there. Mildred was chief of the deacons there in that church. <laughs> She had more rules than anybody in the church, too. Great woman. But, but we, you know, all those guys were in on all the decisions, and, and they, they allowed me to sort of have a, we didn't even have a table. We gathered up in chairs, you know. They allowed me to have a seat in a circle. And, and we, we worked together, and, and I learned some things from those guys. And uh, then I went to a church that was exactly 1,500, and they had 90 deacons, and they wanted to undeak half of them. That was one of my first jobs, to undeak <laughs> half of them. Uh, and guess what? That church functioned very, very differently. 
And I've been in, in between, and, and I just know that context really matters. And so we're not here to say you have to do it this way. We're not going to give you some formula that you just have to take and go. But we say it's good to have understandings. It, it has a lot of benefits, and, and context matters. And so I'm not telling you how your church ought to function at all, but I think there's some questions you need to ask so you can decide how's best for you in your setting. That's really important because we work in Hope Network and in Interim Ministry Partners with a broad variety of churches. And, and some churches you may say are over here, and some churches you may say are over here, and some are over here, and some are over somewhere. You know, we don't know. But, but, but guess what? We, we believe God's his spirit is active in, in all those places. And uh, just because they're a little different than us, we're okay to, to come alongside them and serve with them. And, and we want to encourage you in your context to do what's appropriate for you kind of like that baseball stadium thing. I'm glad that we in, in, in Texas, in Arlington with the Rangers, and in, in Houston with the Astros don't do it the way the Yankees do. <laughs> I'm just really, really glad about that. Um, so uh, a, a few questions, and then I'll just kind of sit down and, and, uh, and kind of turn it over to, to Brother Greg here in a moment. Um, some categories and some questions. So think about accountability. What level of accountability exists between the elders? I'm not going to read the, the 15 little questions I have underneath that. We have these in a, in a book, uh, Navigating the Storm. Uh, there's a chapter in there about that. But, but just what level of accountability? How, you know, when are we accountable to each other and, and all that? That's a really good question to ask. Um, how do elders uh, relate with staff ministers, right? Just good to get that out on the table. Uh, how do we select elders at our church you know is it is it going to be kind of intentional and is it time and what about sabbatical there's all kinds of questions just selection kind of things um i know some leadership groups that actually say here we are we are deciding proactively in advance intentionally not reactionally but intentionally proactively our style is this we, we are we are really focused on shepherding Church where I serve, we, we, have, we have three guys that, are, that I work with that say, hey, you know, oversight is really important, administrative stuff, and so we're going to meet occasionally about that, but, but all the rest of everybody else, we're going to focus on shepherding. Now, there, we have some guidelines, right? Some, some boundaries, some bumpers on the sides, and as long as we stay between those sides, we can do a lot and keep the rest of those guys from having to deal with it. We have a degree of trust. And then we review once a year. How are we doing? Anybody having yanks? And guess what? We brought some new guys in, and we had an elder boot camp, and we reviewed the ground rules of how we work together. And one of them came from another place, and he had his ideas. And so we, we kind of moderated that. And then we all signed off and said, you know what? We're going we're to do it this way now for the next season. And guess what? Occasionally, we have to remind each other about that. So... Um, organization, you know, how, how do we make decision making? Do we do majority stuff? Do we delegate stuff? Just lots of good um, decision making questions, delegation of decision making. Um, you know, um, I got a call not too long ago because a, a church uh, had two guys that were out and missed a meeting and the other two guys that were there made a decision and they went with it and said, well, you missed the meeting, you know, so do you need a quorum to decide? I mean, you wouldn't think we'd have to deal with that, but you can't assume, right? You just can't assume. How do we do our meetings? What do those look like? Do we keep notes, minutes? Do we, do we keep those? Do we remind ourselves? You know, questions like that can be important. Um, 
And then there are a lot of questions about how ministers relate with their elders. I mean, uh, how do we do evaluations in our church? Just lots of good, good questions about how we do that. How do we relate with ministry leaders? Several good, good things to ask there. The congregation as a whole, what can they expect of us as their leaders? How do we, how do we lead with our people? And I said that intentionally. How do we lead with our people? Think about Ephesians chapter 4. It was he, Christ Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, to equip God's people to grow up. So you, you have this not hierarchy and pyramid. You have this body kind of image. You have all these people that are trying to do the same thing, uh, mature people up, equip them, prepare them to grow up to look like Christ. And, uh, and it's related there to the, to the mission of God. And so uh, I think these are not intended to lead to the same conclusions in every church. Uh, but I'm just I'm convinced that all ministry is contextual and all ministry needs to be prayerful. And if we get some of the things on top of the table, then guess what? We're going to have less brawls in the game of church, if you will. It's just going to be better. We're going to be able to, to, to make good things happen with each other. And we can allow God's spirit to work in us in a very unified way. I, I really like, and I'll close with this and turn it over to Greg, I really like this little meeting that I read about in the book of Acts in chapter 15. They were trying to decide how, Jew, how Jewish do Gentile converts need to become, so they had to have a, a conference about that, a little convocation, a meeting. And uh, they basically decided, no, they really don't have to become very Jewish. But there are a few things because of our context, some ground rules, for this area that we need to set down. And so there's this about blood and what you eat and how some of that kind of stuff. Um, you know, there was a really great voice. James spoke up and said, I don't think we ought to make it hard on people who want to come to Jesus. And then, and then they said this. They wrote a letter because it's good to make things explicit. It's good to write them down. It's good to have useful understandings. And they wrote this little letter and they said, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Okay, they didn't get to that Holy Spirit and us thing without some process. That was a very intentional meeting in Acts 15. And so my encouragement to you is, is uh, I hope that your, your church and your leadership can, can say, hey, it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us that, that we're functioning this way. And that can lead to good results. We talk about outcomes. It seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Now, how do we line this stuff up? And so Grady talked about the angst that we're experiencing, and, and I'm trying to bring some awareness to some of those kind of issues. And, and so um, uh, are we ready for Greg, Grady, or you want to do a little something? Sure. I was just going to say that uh, we're trying to move through this so that we can engage you in some scenarios or questions that you might have. Uh, and... There's cultural issues in leadership. My, my African-American or black preacher friends, they function differently in their governance model than the, the white churches do. And Hispanic churches, I'm doing a, a thing at the Christian Scholars Conference in a few weeks, and I've got uh, the whole diversity in a roundtable discussion about the different cultural understandings of how leadership functions in churches of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so it'll be interesting to uh, have that roundtable discussion. So we're talking as three white guys, but I promise you, it, the friends that we have that preach in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, Houston, that preach pro to primarily black churches, when they look at us and go, 
what's wrong with you guys, man? Somebody's got to lead. What are you hung up on this leadership thing for? I mean, and we have these good discussions. It's always over food, too, by the way. Uh, so anyway, uh, so expectations are simply premeditated resentments. Mm. Say that again. Expectations are premeditated resentments. I'd write that down. And I got that from my friend Charlie Seibert uh, at Abilene Christian years ago when he taught me expectations are premeditated resent resentments. And so clarifying expectations is very, very important. Uh, I'll have a, uh, one a quick story, Greg, and it's yours. I um, have a friend in Dallas, and he was very successful CEO of a multi-million dollar company that uh, did land and real estate and all kinds of things like that. And he told me over lunch one day, and he's been on the board of trustees at Abilene Christian, board of trustees of other schools. He is a wonderful man. And he said, Grady, over lunch, I can make decisions easier in my multi-million dollar company than I can as an elder. It's the hardest work I've ever done in my life. Mm -hmm. I literally make million dollar decisions almost daily, if not weekly in my company, but I lost more sleep and have had more angst and more, it's the most difficult thing I've ever done because of group leadership. So that if you weren't an elder one day and you go through an ordination process or installing or however you want to call it, Monday morning or Sunday afternoon, now you're an elder, but you've probably received no orientation or group understanding how groups function and this is where my friend Greg Anderson loves to talk about. Greg. <laughs> this program is brought to you by. I appreciate it, Grady. I'm sure y'all are probably a little bit weary. It's been a long day, I know, but uh, I'm not going to talk very long. We would love to open this up and just process a few questions uh, with you here in the, in the next little bit. Uh, I want to give you one name. And I want to encourage you to do a Google search on this. If you're not familiar with Bruce Tuckman, Bruce Tuckman, he developed what's called the four stages of team development. And I'll give them to you. It's uh, forming, storming, norming, and performing. Forming, storming, norming, and performing. And there is a couple other stages as well that uh, some other folks get into a little bit more deeply. but. Um, COVID kind of got us stuck in the storming phase. And some of our folks have kind of um, gotten into some stinking thinking. Does this sound familiar? Any of you experienced some of this in your churches and how it's really kind of done a number on us? We seem to be normalizing a little bit, and that's good. But from where I sit right now is not a time for what I call macro shifts organizationally. I think right now is a really, really good time for, for if there are going to be any shifts at all, for micro shifts. And I want to talk a little bit about that just over the next few minutes. I'm a huge proponent of alignment. I talk about it a lot. I encourage churches to, to be aligned with God's unique vision for that church. Out of that vision should flow your mission. Vision is where you're going. Mission is how you get there. And your vocabulary, uh, your ground rules, uh, understanding those things that cause you angst so that you can bring clarity to that so that the angst begins to mitigate over time. 
Um, what, I, what I've discovered is that when we try to make macro shifts, particularly if we try to do a lot of those simultaneously, we actually can make things a whole lot worse. Micro shifts seem to work a little bit more effectively, particularly if you're in a church that's been around for a while. So I want to start with vocabulary. And I just want to give you a handful of things to consider. And you can have conversations about this with your ministry staff, or you can have conversations about this with your shepherds or your small group leaders. But just a few. And uh, then one quick thing I'll, I'll share with you, and then we'll, we'll open it up for some questions. One of the first shifts that I encourage churches to make is to move away from this idea of the staff working for the elders to working with. So move away from working for to working with. I love the word collab collaborative because I love the two uh, foundational components of the word collaborative. Co-labor. Co-labor. Um, and so uh, it's a really critical shift. And a lot of times elders might say, well, no, the staff, yeah, the staff works with us. They don't work for us. But the, the behavior doesn't match the language. So I encourage the elders, unless they are going into executive session to talk about the individual uh, who is perhaps... Um, a key a leader maybe it's maybe it's raise time or maybe it's vacation time or maybe it's personnel policy time I don't I don't know what but I really encourage the shepherds to always allow the staff members a seat at the table um, and so that may be a stretch for some of your churches um, but I'm going to tell you the the younger ministers that are that are coming into the workforce now they absolutely value that collaboration. I think our older ministers do too. <laughs> I just don't know that the, the precedent is going to be easily broken out of. So move from working for to working with. Um, I, would, I would also encourage you another subtle shift. Start doing away with the word program. Just, just stop it. <laughs> don't say discipleship program. For instance, it's discipleship. It's not a program. Um, program's not a bad word. But I don't, I don't think, does the word program it's appear anywhere in, in the Bible? I don't think it does. Maybe there's a Greek word that we could stretch a little bit, but, but most of the time ministry is, is highly organic. It's highly relational. Um, and, and, and particularly when it comes to something like discipleship, um, I don't know that you can program it. You can create an infrastructure for it. Um, but it's so highly relational, so that's another shift I would encourage you to think about. Another vocabulary shift I would encourage you to think about is, is stop using the phrase going to church or when we go to church and start using terms like when we gather, when we assemble for worship, when we gather to serve. That's the language of, of the called out people of God. And I just think it's subtle but it's also powerful. And going to church, it's, it's another way to say that's one more thing we do among many other things that we do. And that's a very westernized understanding of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. But, but gathering for a, for a purpose that is hopefully greater than just one hour, right? Just, just that we're, we're kind of locked in on that. We start, we stop, we go, we move on. 
gatherings, it just is a little different. Assembling, it's a little bit different. I can't really quantify it for you, but it's one of those shifts I encourage you to think about it. This next one's kind of a biggie. I believe we have to stop saying, come as you are. I think that's a huge mistake that churches have made the last three or four decades. I think we got to start saying, come and be changed. Mm-hmm. Or um, um, become someone different. Because <laughs> that's what Jesus does. Mm-hmm. He changes. He changes people. He changes lives. And I understand come as you are. I get it. I get it. But I, hear, I think this is something we've seen in the pandemic. Because we made it so easy for people to come to our churches... In the pandemic, we made it really, really easy for people to leave our churches. Because we didn't really ask a lot of folks to commit to a, the very, very high standard that Jesus sets. And I'm going to tell you something. Last several years, as I have studied the Sermon on the Mount, it, it's, it's impossible <laughs> to do what Jesus asks us to do. Save by the power of the Holy Spirit, Right? And so we understand that we can't do that in and of ourselves. We can only do it through Holy Spirit power and and through that phenomenon of following Jesus closely as a disciple. And that's where the change comes in. So I want to go around and just start scrubbing websites that have come as you are on them. And and I want to say come and be different. And and then I also encourage churches, again, this is kind of subtle, but I just want to encourage you to think about that. Ask, Ask the people who come to you to actually do something. Create a pathway for change. And uh, if you haven't purchased the Disciple Makers Handbook by Patrick and Harrington, it's a wonderful, wonderful resource. A great resource. Um, They've got some Church of Christ roots. I think at least Harrington does. And so um, they, they look at progression from someone who is curious to someone who becomes a believer to someone who becomes a disciple to someone who becomes a disciple maker. And a lot of times I think we're just kind of happy if someone comes to church because our success metric is numbers. But that's not Jesus's success metric, right? And so it's a subtle shift in some ways, it's a vocabulary shift in some ways, but I think if we can make these gentle nudges, it starts opening up a very different set of possibilities for us. A couple more. Um, we've got to move away from, well, I'm, I'm hearing people say, we got to move away from that to, what does God say? Mm-hmm. We made a rule in our elders' meetings at the AM Church of Christ that we would not bring anonymous feedback into the elders' meeting. And it totally revolutionized our shepherds' meetings. So what we decided to do was say to people when they were bringing complaints, hey, we have this new thing that we're doing, and when people start complaining, we want to let you know we are going to share this with the entire eldership and the entire ministry staff. Well, I don't want you to do that. Okay, well, then I'm sorry. We're going to have to talk about something else because I, that's, we've made that commitment to one another. And it totally, totally changed the tenor of our meetings. And I remember one night, I'll never forget this, as long as I live, one of our shepherds said, well, this past week I was talking to somebody and one of the elders said, who? Well, I don't want to say. Well, then I'm sorry, we're not going to have that conversation. Next. <laughs> and it was awesome. It was awesome. So, so we call that, the, 
what we what we internal control language the tail didn't get to wag the dog anymore and one of the questions that I ask elders a lot when I'm walking alongside them is, who are the real elders of this church? Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about you guys that wear the title, but who in the pew is making, is undoing decisions that you're doing? Because if you're allowing that to happen, those are the people who are leading your church. It's not you guys. So it's a shift. It's a shift. We've got to move away from, I've heard people say, to what God's word says. And, and then I think we've got we to gotta move finally from putting out brush fires to God's desired outcomes. It's so easy to fall into the trap of putting out brush fires because there are a lot of them. <laughs> but, but I ask a question quite often. These guys may be sick of hearing it by now, but the question is, what's your desired outcome? What do you want to see as a result of this ministry or that worship assembly or that sermon series or this, um, this service this service time, whatever it is, what is your desired outcome? Uh, Simon Sinek wrote a book several years ago. It was quite popular. It's called Always Start, you know, Begin with the Why. Begin with the Why. And I think that's really, really important. Why are we doing this? What is our desired outcome? And uh, I'm kind of a reverse engineer type, so I like to try to start with that end and, and move into that. <clears throat> I, I want to encourage you to, to think about Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 and 23, and this should be very familiar to all of us. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, uh, goodness, gentleness, self-control. This should sound very, very familiar. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, with its passions and its desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit and let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. So if there are individuals or if there are ministries or if there are frameworks or if there are um, teams and in any of those, if you're not seeing the fruit of the Spirit, then it's probably time to revision <laughs> that ministry or that team or that framework or whatever it might be. Um, because I, I, I think, and you know, we go back to Galatians 2, why is Paul writing this? Poor Peter, bless his heart. He's hanging out at the cool kids' table. <laughs> you know, the Galatians are believing a bunch of stuff they, they embrace. And so, so Paul's like, no, guys, remember, remember. This is what the fruit of God's Holy Spirit looks like. Uh, I want to give you three questions, and I'm going to give you a chance to ask some questions. Um, and these are just great processing questions. Uh, you can do this. You can process these questions by yourself unless there's a lot of pain in your system. And if there's a lot of pain, you probably should bring in somebody. Uh, we would be happy to help. The folks at Cyber Institute would be happy to help. The folks at Mission Resource Network would be happy to help. Uh, Grady has a great saying, lighthouses don't compete. So we're thrilled to death, even when other organizations come in and do some really, really great stuff with churches too, and and God's given us uh, plenty to to say grace over right now. But I'm going to give you three questions. Um, What are we doing that uh, is called a start, stop, keep exercising? What are we not doing that we need to start doing? What are we not doing that we need to start doing? Uh, What are we doing that we need to stop doing? And what are we doing that we need to keep doing?
So start, stop, keep. And those questions are unbelievably scalable. You can sit down with one person who's over a ministry, one deacon, one ministry leader. You can sit down with a group. You can ask that of your entire congregation and just listen for the feedback. So I hope that will be helpful to you. Uh, I've got some of these notes in a slide deck. My cards are up here on the front table. I'll be happy to pass some of those out and email you a copy of these. Or there's also a little uh, clipboard going around. If you want to put your name and email address on there, we'll be happy to get those uh, to you. So I'm going to stop, turn it back over to uh, Grady, and we'll see if you all have some questions or some thoughts you want to share. Just a word or two. If you got a question, we'll be glad to entertain them. We promised you that we would not take keep you in the and we'll, we'll honor that. You know, giving you time back raises our credibility, so <laughs> it's awesome. Uh, I mentioned the phrase gift-based shared leadership, and that's coming out of Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and this passage that we've overlooked, 1 Peter 4.10, use, use whatever gift God has given you to faithfully administer his grace in, water, in, in its various forms. Think about that. That is written to churches in exile, churches that are disoriented. And, and Peter, this older apostle, is now saying, look, use the gift God's given you to be faithful and show God's grace, however that shows up, in its various forms. So when I talk about gift-based leadership, I'm saying, do you know your gifts? Do, do you know your gifts? And there's a way of doing that. We have some tools accessible to that. You can email us from our website. Email me. I'm really into this gift stuff. And because oftentimes we go, we have the Corinthian problem. And that is, my gift's greater than your gift. My gift's greater than yours. That's the song they were singing in Corinth. But we, gifts are used for the sake of the body. It's moving from I to we. It's I to we. But our individualized, religious, private experience of God in church, we don't invest in understanding the team that we have been given by God, elders, ministers, and the gifts we have. And so this has to do with uh, elders that say, I don't want to be chairman. I don't want to set agendas. That's not my thing. I hate that, but I'm the junior elder, and I have, they say everybody's got to take their turn doing this. Where is the Bible passage for that? It's not there. The people that have the gifts ought to use the gift of administration, even in an elder's context. I've had elders go, Grady, I said, look, friend, you guys are adults. Come together and put your foot down and say, that's not my gift. I will not be the chairman of this meeting. I trust you and you and you to do it. That's not my gift. I will frustrate myself. My wife will drive me crazy, and I'll frustrate you. He finally did it, and it was like, oh, okay, I guess we're not going to use you. Well, that was tough, but for a year and a half, it was like agony, him afraid of that. So that's out of a gift-based understanding. Exhorters are going to exhort. Givers are going to give. Mercy people are going to show mercy. It's in the body of Christ, and there's those that have equipping gifts, which are basically verbal in orientation. The gift of teaching, the gift of preaching, the gift of prophecy. Prophecy, forth-telling the word of God, not telling the future, okay? There are those that have those gifts. They're very verbal. Then there are action-supporting gifts. Mercy's a supporting gift. 
They're doing and action-oriented. It's in the whole body of Christ. Imagine what would happen if there's a, two, if there's a way, and there is, for you to do gift-based shared leadership and, and not think in terms of, well, that's not your role. You don't have authority to do that. Where did that come from in Scripture? That's assumed from our business culture, just like Bible classes are assumed from a secular model of separating children in first grade, second grade, third grade. That comes out of Robert Rakes from England, where we got the, the Bible school movement. That's not a Hebrew way of forming faith at all. You see, so the, all the, we're back to assumptions. We're back to ground rules and rethinking things. COVID has given us an incredible time to reset. And instead of saying, oh, I hope we get back to normal, we're not going to get back to normal. Embrace what you have and go forward with the opportunity that God's given us an opportunity to say, let's, let's sit back and say, all right, what's essential, consistent with the gospel and who we are? So if you want to know more about gift-based stuff, I do that stuff all the time. Greg certified to do that stuff all the time. We can help you. It's not super expensive to do. It's easy, but it'll start forming and thinking, what is it like to use gift-based leadership? Not for my gift's greater than your gift, but for the sake of the body of Christ, okay? Uh, the, the last thing I'll say, and you, we'll turn to questions, is this. How many have ever experienced one man controlling an entire eldership, a leadership group? Anybody experienced that? Well, I'm shocked. <laughs> Here's my response to that. You get what you put up with. You get what you put up with. How is it that a group of seven to nine men who are educated, smart, run companies, do all kinds of things, can allow one person to dictate the course of a church? How is it that that happens? You allow it to happen. You're you know what I'm saying when I say you are. You're complicit in it. You're, you're complicit in it. Well, you know, brother so-and-so, he, he means well. Quit sanctifying his peculiarities. I guarantee you in the business world it didn't happen that way. It's you're called to account and people speak up. We're so afraid of hurting each other's feelings and that's not very Christian. Where's the passage for that? Speak truth and love. That's not about denominational error that's within the body of Christ to each other you can tell I, I'm a preacher I'm sorry but anyway so what are your questions those are just a few nuggets about leadership we're not going to answer all your stuff tonight but we love walking alongside elders and ministers question scenario Galen I don't know much about your organization but how do you engage with the church what's the process how do you get engaged what time do you spend who do you spend it with that sort of practical one is we can't go where we're not invited. So we don't market, we don't sell, we don't try to convince. Usually it flows out of need. But Doug and Greg can both answer. If you heard his question, take off and answer that. Well, the, the part of the organization I work with is interim ministry partners. And people contact us when they're looking for a minister. or They know a transition is coming. And sometimes we're able to be helpful and partner with them. And we, we focus on three things when we do that. We a consistent preaching presence, a consulting relationship with the leadership of that church and the congregation, and then coaching a search process that is really a transformation process. It's, a, it's designed to be a spiritual discernment process, not just a hrmonster.com kind of process. It's intended to be a spiritual discernment process. Yeah, that's the interim ministry on the... 
consulting side, <laughs> Greg, have, yeah, give a scenario. It just starts. Know? It starts with listening. I mean, we typically work with a leadership team, uh, meeting you, meeting you as you would define leadership team. Um, but we really encourage strongly shepherds and ministry staff to work together, and we just listen. So we, we will start with a set of questions and use those to kind of identify qualitatively some themes that you may be experiencing and dealing with. And then we uh, bring a very prayer-filled, purposeful, okay, what are we doing that we need to start doing? What are we not doing that we need to start doing? And what are we doing that we need to stop doing? And what are we doing that we need to keep doing? So, yeah. It usually starts a conversation. And yeah, we lead listening. with listening. Yeah. We listen first, and then we engage the realities you're facing, whatever that might be. I mean, Greg and I worked together in a church in the Dallas-Fort Worth area where I used to be the youth minister 35, 40, 50, 70, 80 years ago, whatever it was, 100. Hey, smart little hands. But anyway, we, we've done some things together, and we had pre-questions we asked them. Each of the elders responded over the email, and the staff did, and then Greg, we synthesized those to know what, what the ground what was ground where we're landing in and then we go in and do processes where we ask questions they give answers they interact with each other we break them up we give try to give hear their voices first and we engage then we kind of assess and we have assessments we have different assessments we can use in conjunction with cyber institute at Abilene there's a real good one called church health assessment and it's really good it's designed for churches of Christ called the yeah, cyber institute has it it's a great it's not expensive We'll do that and create conversation out of that, and then we do discernment. You know, what are the areas you want to work on? You know, coming out of COVID, we're encouraging people to simplify, simplify, simplify. Mm -hmm. Most churches are doing way too much, still trying to operate, operate like they were three or four years ago, expecting all these programs, programs and all these things to do, and we're saying simplify. Realign yourself to gospel. What are the two or three things you're going to do well in this church that everybody can say what it is? Yes, sir, Mr. Butts. Keith? Uh, recall, you know, God shows us grace. We receive grace. We extend grace. Jesus says, I desire your mercy. Let's say grace. But we gotta hold each other accountable. But there's gotta be accountability. Um, yeah, there does. And, and yes. in church staff set when payrolls get involved, you know, how do you navigate someone that makes a very poor decision? You know, how do you navigate that road between? That's done through, before you get into crisis, that's done through proactive growth reviews that they, they help. Greg, this is another area of Greg. So uh, talk about the, answer his question, please. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it. I love this. What, what, are the, what, are, what, is the, what is the overarching culture that you desire congregationally? And I would, going back to what we talked about earlier from Galatians 5, I would hope it would be a congregation that yields the fruit of the Spirit. But sometimes you have that outlier that may have some other agenda, right? Um, and so what, what commitments are we willing to make to each other? How are we going to covenant to work together? And if someone is breaking covenant, then we have to decide how we're going to address that. 
And I, I am all for exhausting every means available. So whether it's an employee improvement plan or whether it's a, we're going to make these minor adjustments for six months, we're going to come back and see where we are. Um, and and I, I personally contrast everything back to vision. That's just, that's just where I am. It's kind of my approach. Because I, I believe vision is God birthed. I think it's Holy Spirit given. Um, I, many, many, many years ago, some of you may know Wayne Kilpatrick who preached in Birmingham, Alabama forever. Uh, I heard Wayne say in a sermon one time, it takes all different kinds of churches to reach all different kinds of people. And I didn't understand that until I started working with all different kinds of churches and all different kinds of people. <laughs> and now I'm like, he's right. So, so I, hope, I hope that answers your question. You know, it's just what commitments are we going to make to each other? And then when someone's no longer making that commitment, so now what does that mean? Also use the values part, too. I'm really big on people can tell me, well, here's our, here's our mission statement. Here's our mission statement. Well, that's wonderful. What you give your time, energy, and emotion and resources to is what you really value. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so on a staff, here's some core values of how we're going to function together. And we're all big on covenants, written covenants mm -hmm. with shepherding covenants minister covenants we covenant with one another we can give you sample covenants that we've used uh so can the cyber institute at abilene that we use with staff and we use with people and so there is kind of a periodic checking in on that covenant how am i doing it's creating a culture of confession and openness and growth and so i was in a situation once the elder said you're in charge of the staff you hire fire i said i don't wait just a minute here <laughs> i wrote the, the boundaries and limitations of that because they got the staff got really nervous you mean you can walk in any day when you have a bad day and you know great you're kind of moody sometimes uh, and you can just let I said no that's crazy I wrote it to where I had to have I had to document that's what you do in the business world yeah you, you just can't come in and I mean you can fire at will in the state of Texas but you're smart to avoid legal stuff if you document, 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 have conversations, have conversations. And this idea of terminating a minister like that, yeah. that's spiritually irresponsible. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of probation and employee improvement. Mm. I, I, t I have two specific examples in my own relationships with other ministers where we put somebody on probation and they are still now to this day serving. And one of them was about 12 years ago and the other one was about six years ago and they are still serving faithfully in ministry now. But, it, you know, there were some that thought, no, we just need to cut, cut the line and move on. Right. And, and no, let's, let's, let's make sure we're living up to our values that we put in this role description, yeah. and then let's also have an improvement plan. And if, if, you wanna, if you wanna meet what we think you need to meet to be here, then do it, and we'll bless that. And uh, I, I can tell you a story of giving a minister a raise uh, a year and a half after he was on probation and had an employee improvement plan, and he got a merit raise a year and a half later, and it's still in that church. Now I understand there's moral things you have yeah. to deal with, and shepherd's sure. got to be involved in that, and there's exactly. there's there's ethical issues you have to deal with and all that stuff. But if it's just like we don't like his style, or he you know, or he's he's lazy, he's late. You know, don't get me started on lazy. There's no reason. <laughs> Let's go here and then here. Well, I wanted to ask you about. Uh, what you were saying about covenants. Uh, what I've heard you saying is that you're talking about a covenant between the ministers and the and the elders, etc. What about a membership covenant? Mm -hmm. So you say, come as you are. Well, look, this is the covenant we have with all the members. You want to be part of this congregation, then 
this is the kind of commitment or this is the covenant that you're joining. And I personally think that's a great idea going back to the very early days of the restoration movement when congregations covenanted together to form a new congregation. And um, so you guys want to comment on that as far as covenant with all the members? It's, it's harder to do because it can be abused as a legalistic document that's not in scripture all that kind of stuff yeah. i think it's how you frame it right i don't i can't think of i've known a time you have i, I heard it, i had coffee today with the minister said we are there are two wings on our plane if you're going to be a member of this church and we make sure it's very clear we want you to attend worship regularly and we want you to be in a small group and and that was actually explicit again ambiguity is our enemy mm -hmm. clarity is kind mm -hmm. And so for being a part of their church and being a member, we want you to do these two things. Uh, I, I last Sunday led an orientation, Grace Crossing Orientation, GCO, and we had some people in there that are new to our church, and we said, hey, these are the three things that we think are important values for you as a minister. They, we have a doctrinal set of things, but, but these are the three things we want you to be active and involved in. So the idea of um, elders providing spiritual leadership to the members. Um, so that raises, in my mind, the question of, do the members, is, how do we make clear what leadership the members are gonna accept from the elders? Um, in other words, oh, we're gonna appoint people to be elders. Well, what responsibility do they have over all the members? Are all the members agreeing that these men will be responsible for these processes in my life. Um, I mean, I, I think that a lot of times that's not clear in my experience. Right, what right. do you expect these elders to do? Well, they're going to spend the budget. They're going to you know, decide what color to paint the walls. But no, I mean, we're talking about spiritual leadership. What are we expecting these men to do? It's got to be articulated. Yeah, <laughs> I mean you're you're stating you're stating this is what we expect from the church. I think I think the the other wing of the plane is, and this is what you can expect from us. So that involves teaching. Um, it involves modeling what it what it looks like. So of those useful understandings I was yeah. describing, one yeah. little section of questions there, and if you if you want that via email, you can indicate that and we can do that. Well, a whole set of questions is about elders with the congregation. A whole mm -hmm. set of questions is about elders with elders elders with ministers, those relationships. And so just good questions to ask. And again, I'm not saying we, everywhere you have to come out on all those. I'm just saying it's good to think about them in advance. Mm -hmm. So good, good insight. I mean, good thoughts. I don't have a magic formula there. Tom? Yeah, our church has about 150 people. So size-wise, you can kind of figure that in. Mm -hmm. What's What's the best approach for making big decisions? We're trying to make some fairly big decisions in our church. Mm. What's the best approach for making big decisions and how much and to what extent do you bring the, con the congregation itself into those decisions? Well, one, we're not a democracy. <laughs> we, our people sometimes think we are a democracy. Uh, my, it depends on, on the nature of it. Number one, what you're trying to decide. But I'm always in favor of grassroots stuff and being having open, transparent communication with the church and in designing processes. And it can be done, it can be scaled. It can be scaled at a pretty good sized church, having processes where the leadership 
not just listens to a voice or takes a survey, but actually engages people. And I, you know, it, my, that's the general answer. The specific answer would be you and I talk about what you're trying to talk about. Yeah. Are these doctrinal? Are these money? Are these X, Y, Z? Is this sale of building? Is this we've got to relocate? Is this hat? And what do you have bylaws in your church? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you have to. There's there's several things here that have to be yeah. considered. Yeah. But yes. So when I came to this class, I have leadership angst um, because in December, our three elders were dealing with lots of health issues and they stepped yep. up and said, see ya. Um, they're all gone. They're all gone. <laughs> they all stepped up. No, they're still in the church. Um, and uh, Are you the preacher? I am. <laughs> yeah, so I've got a lot of... <laughs> and, you know, and the... Three years ago when I got there, I said, who's going to replace you? And then COVID hit. And mm. it was, you know, mm. then they had health issues. And then they were like, we're done. We can't handle this anymore. We're, mm. you know, on the end of our life, basically. So, so who decides who decides now? Me. <laughs> How large? What size church? About 70. Okay. And so basically what they've done is they, they when I got there, they said, here's the keys to the church. Take us somewhere. Um, so, so I'm thinking... Leadership, de, you know, developing leaders and putting together leaders, vision, but there's all of this. And so there's, there's part of this is where do I start? Yeah. You know, Titus was left by Paul on the island of Crete. And in Titus chapter 1, verse 5, it says, straighten out what's crooked and appoint some leaders and get out of Dodge. Um, I'm not suggesting you get out of Dodge. <laughs> Not, not saying that, not saying that, uh, but I, I think what a, what a tremendous opportunity uh, to to raise up leaders. Are there other God people? has put you there. Um, you're the evangelist. You're the preacher. Um, you're the spokesperson. Hebrews 13 it talks about uh, those who spoke. The leaders. That, that word for leader in Hebrews 13 is not koimeno for shepherd. It's not episcopos for overseer. It's not presbyter for elder. That word in Hebrews 13 for leader is for chief spokesman. It's only used two places in the New Testament. One over in Acts, whenever, was it Paul and Silas were accused yeah. of being uh, uh, Zeus, <laughs> you know? Chief spokesman leaders. Well, you're a Hebrews 13 leader in your context, is what I would tell you. And, and man, you know, get, 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 get a coach or get some help or, you know, call. Do you need? Do you have two or three people in that church that could serve in as kind of a that the church would approve as an interim leadership team with you? The only thing that that that, we, that aren't quote elders, right? Yeah. The only the only thing that, that kind of was established is our we have one deacon. Um, he's our treasurer and uh, um, young guy. And he was like, hey, I want to have some guys help me make decisions. Mm -hmm. So it's it's him and myself and two other guys. Okay. So so really, I mean, that's the... It's the budget committee. Yeah. Yeah. Budget committee. Mm -hmm. Wives can always get to the core. Right? <laughs> <laughs> quick. We'll be well, glad to talk with you tomorrow. I'll have absolutely. coffee with you or something and visit mm -hmm. more. And depending on where you live and stuff, we could, I think we could be helpful to you. Okay. Well, Greg can. I don't have to do that. <laughs> I'm in a similar situation, uh, only I don't have a deacon. <laughs> so it's just me, pretty much. Um, Are you guys close enough to merge? Is that <laughs> 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 where do you, where
where are you from, actually? Central Oregon. Oh, Jesus help you. <laughs> <laughs> You're isolated. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, what about you, I brother? mean, there's, there's, so there's, there's four churches of Christ, one in each town, kind of in the area that we're at. Um, there's only one other one that has a minister, and I'm friends with him. My, my concern when elders all resign in mass is a, it's a systems it's a system concern because oftentimes people say we're just all going to resign and, and when you do anytime there's a void in a system oftentimes the most unhealthy people step in to fill it <laughs> and so that's what you have to as a leader you have to say no and it takes some courage and some risk, and you'll be called all kinds of things, and people might walk out on you or try to rally other people, but you can't. It's better to have what you have right now than the most unhealthy people stepping into the void. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. your life's going to get even more miserable. Which is, which is good, because one, one of those elders, so he, he, he has dementia, and, uh, um, and that's why he was like, I just can't, I can't serve anymore. Mm -hmm. But somebody said, well, we just need to, we just need to, Put any put elders in it. We just need to have elders. And he stood up and said, "It's better to have no eldership than a bad." He's eldership. a wise man. Well, yeah. 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 Paul told Titus to straighten out what was crooked first, and then appoint elders. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We do have a re we do have a couple of resources in the northwest that you could lean on, be helpful people that could be a helpful resource to you in the northwest. Where are you at? Southern California. Yeah. Still on the west coast. <laughs> 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 How far north? <laughs> Other question. We'll go five more minutes, and that'll give you 15 minutes from what we said. We weren't going to keep you till 10. Any other question? I just want to encourage you all, and I know this is this is a, a stretch in some ways. I just want to encourage you to not grow weary in well doing. Don't and don't let worldly metrics get into your head that you gauge success. By, by a world's definition of success. Jesus primarily walked with 15, 16 people most of the time. And he was surrounded by a lot of crowds, but those crowds came and went. So small church, if God's using you in that context, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That is awesome. So let me, oh, go ahead, brother. I was hoping you'd speak up. In an institutional church, where do you start to move from an institutional church to a Christ-centered church if that congregation is 80 years old? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The only thing I got is a lot of prayer <laughs> and, and subtle, subtle shifts. What, what is your desired outcome? What does that mean? What, is, uh, what does a Christ-centered church look like lived out behaviorally? What's different? I follow up with that too. Okay. <laughs> Does it have to expire? I mean, 
trying to pick my words here. Yeah. Uh, in order for it to be born again. Yeah. The reason being is because of the demographics and the, the demographic of the church and then of the community. One is going to have to be up if it's going to flourish. Mm. And the challenge is, uh, and, and I'm using the word institution, I'm not in a negative way, but in a realistic way. Yeah, sure, surely. That's that's calcified. That's mm. petrified. That and and the people are loving people. Yeah, sure. You know, but yeah. uh, I'm just kind of fishing for some wisdom there. I'm praying. I got you on that. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Are you the Are you the pastor? Are you the preacher? Yes, I am. Have you read Tony Morgan's book, The Unstuck Church? Yes, I have. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Back to the Bible now. You know. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good thing. That's a good thing. That's a very good. Where thing. are you located now? In Los Angeles. Well, that's what. Uh, what is the average life cycle of a church? 70? Eighty. Eighty years is what Stan said. Eighty years. Dinner. Eighty yeah. years is about the the average life average life cycle of a church. That 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 life cycle that Robert Dale did, and a guy named Bridges did it, and then yeah. Tony Morgan's. I like his that he puts in unstuck church. Do you two know helpful. each other? Marcus, do you know this brother? We were in classes one No, I meant the one that's talking. Oh, him, yeah, no. Yeah, um, what part of Los Angeles are you in? We in South Central, 57th and Figueroa. Where are you? I'm in Torrance. I know, I went and toured the. Huh. Okay. Let me bless you and let's talk. <laughs> That's that's tongue in cheek, uh, sorta, kinda. Let me bless you. Uh, Here's I I love this passage, 2 Corinthians four. Since then we have received this ministry by the mercy of God. What does it say? We do not lose heart. And Lord bless you. Thank you for being here late at night.